0: Hey everyone, welcome to a SummerSlam Trading Places edition this week on Kickin' Out at Two's. We're going to be trading places with the 1996 installment of the Summer Classic. Uh, That event took place just 24 years ago yesterday on August the 18th, headlined by Shawn Michaels defending the WWF Championship against Vader. Um, I chose this SummerSlam in particular to play the traditional role reversal, if you will, because... um, There were some interesting matchups, and this was an interesting time for the WWF in the summer of 96. They were on the opposite end of the wrestling spectrum uh, with WCW and the New World Order storyline kicking off. And so the the role reversals here i think um at least from my perspective and i could be wrong because um, that's just my opinion but uh, these particular role reversals here i think um you know some of these fictional role reversals could have been a reality at that time um and could have made for some stronger programming even though some of the wwfs programming in 1996 uh was presented um as uh, still still somewhat cartoonish, they were starting to slowly gain an edge a little bit um, when it when it comes to the, the content. It was a little bit more mature, and that's where I was becoming a little bit more sophisticated. I think they were taking a page out of Eric Bischoff's book with the realistic fashion of the NWO storyline and trying to take that model and implement it into their stories with their characters. So with this SummerSlam and these role reversals, um, I think... I think, I think, I think some of these role reversals are going to be pleasantly surprising to some of you. That are tuning in. So I look forward to getting down to the nuts and bolts as I always do when it comes to our trading places format. Uh, before we get down to those nuts and bolts, before we construct and rebuild this card, if you will, before we play roll reversal, um, there's one thing that we can't roll reverse, and that's your participation on social media. Be a part of all the fun on Facebook and Twitter. You can Facebook us by Facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two. You can like that, you know, the Facebook page, hit that like button, refer it to some friends. Pass it along Anyone that likes positive Pro wrestling fun Not the negative Where you know Everybody thinks That their opinion is right Or everybody thinks That they know better Um Like some of those other pages Where you can Easily get into it With someone And it could be It could be a matter of life And death for some people Um then uh, you know, come over to Kicking Out It Two, slash kicking Out at Two. It's just a fun environment. I want to create something fun, something positive, something that's not going to be taken so seriously by some of our listeners and some of our followers. Um, just you know, people engaging and discussing their memories as fans, and you know, applying all those what-if scenarios and things like that um, into the equation. So uh, there's pictures, there's gifs, there's memes, there's links to archive shows. We got articles, polls, all kinds of great stuff up there um on our facebook page same goes for our twitter uh, our handle is at kicking out to k-i-c-k-n-o-u-t and the number two um give us a follow tell a friend to follow us if you have twitter if you know someone that has twitter that uses twitter very often help us get that little blue check mark if you will i know it's going to take some time um and it may not seem realistic but uh you know my old saying you got to crawl before you walk walking. Walk before you can run. So uh, give us a follow over on Twitter. And you can also find us on the Retro Mania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. We're still there. We're not going anywhere. We're offering, you know, tons of unlimited content for all you guys. You know, search Retro Mania with a W on Podbean and you'll find this show kicking out of two. You'll find Gaijin Wrestling Radio. You'll find Hulkamania's Dead. You'll find Origins of Attitude. You'll find Marked Out the Day's Weekend Warriors. You'll find all kinds of great bonus content available over there by searching Retro Mania with a W. Uh, Be a part of all the fun that we have uh, with the Retro Mania Network. Kobe Knight and I, we have a blast um, talking wrestling and giving our perspectives on the woulda, coulda, shouldas and our memories and thoughts of our individual uh, fandoms in professional wrestling, Um, so be a part of all that, you can find us not only on Podbean, but um, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, and any other podcast platform available by searching Retromania with a W, okay, 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 all right, Um, let's get into it. Let's do it, as we always do. It's very formulaic on this show uh, when it comes to my open, my uh, social media plugs where you can find us, and then the contents, the nuts and bolts of um, this week's show, which happens to be SummerSlam 1996 in our Trading Places format. Uh, For those of you late to the party, uh, I'm kicking out of two. Trading Places is a uh, series that uh, my brother Justin, who's been a special contributor to this podcast, uh, helped develop and really mold and shape. Where we take an event and uh, we, 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 we Go down through the results And we play role reversal Had this person won What was the trajectory of this individual winning What was the trajectory of the loser Would it have shaped their character's course in wrestling history Yes or no We talk about all different kinds of creative possibilities We try to do it in a realistic fashion Without really going that fantasy booking route Even though it kind of can at times get in that fantasy booking realm uh, We try to do it in a realistic fashion Based on the way that the the, the storylines were structured at that game given time, so, um... That's what Trading Places is, we got several Trading Places um, scenarios and uh, episodes up in the archives. We've done some WCW ones, we've done uh, you know whole pay-per-views, we've done individual matches, we've done certain storylines and scenarios. Our last one we covered the, the the Bash at the Beach 2000 incident, the infamous work shoot from Vince Russo, Hulk Hogan, Jeff Jarrett, Booker T, and Eric Bischoff. We talk about the history surrounding those individuals both behind the scenes and in front of the camera, what led us to that that point and um, you know how we could have gotten different results instead of what we saw which was one of the worst worked shoots in the history of pro wrestling so um, that was our last one in the month of July Um, so you can find that in the archives so check that out uh, if you may Um, but this week we are covering SummerSlam 1996 and we are covering an event that um, is probably one of the you know uh, SummerSlams that flies under the radar uh, when you talk about SummerSlam history uh, you talk about the first one with you know the main event being the mega powers and the mega bucks You talk about the SummerSlam where Macho Man and Elizabeth got married You talk about you know, the SummerSlam that was in Wembley in 92 you talk about uh, the SummerSlam that took place the following year 97 which we have a Trading Places uh, Format up for that show that's our I believe that's like our second or third show of kicking out at 2 You can find that in the archive Trading Places SummerSlam 1997 but uh, um, in this instance here, um, we're going to discuss, uh, I, in my opinion, I feel a very underrated SummerSlam. SummerSlam I didn't watch live on pay-per-view, but when I watched it back years later, I thought, man, this was a pretty good show. It was pretty solid. Um, it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a stinker that many expected it to be. At least that's my opinion. Um, and this was a solid card overall, given the, uh, the, the, the landscape of the storylines at this time and what they were working with. Um... Overall, I thought this was a, a, a very good show. Uh, check it out on WWE Network. Uh, SummerSlam 1996. Um, let's let, let's do it. Let's start off uh, the very first match. Uh, on this card i'm not going to do the free-for-all match between stone cold steve austin and yokozuna because it was a thrown together match to kind of put these two on the card and it didn't really mean anything um in fact it meant nothing at all the most memorable moment from this match was when yokozuna tried for the bonsai drop and he snapped the top rope and steve austin managed to get the victory uh, which allegedly wasn't planned so i um, not going to really get into that but um, the first match on the main card was owen hart Defeating Savio Vega in a singles match. The match went 13 minutes and 23 seconds. Owen Hart was the victor. Now, um, leading up to this, the two didn't really have any issues with each other on television. Uh, they just uh, uh, this was a match that was just kind of made at the last minute to put these two on the card. They felt that both guys could produce a good match. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, they might have given them like a story, like a like a last minute storyline reason. Um, for, for having this match, um, but I don't remember exactly what that was. I'll have to go back and really fish for it. But um, there wasn't there wasn't any real substance to this rivalry or to this match. So it was just kind of put together. And Owen Hart had defeated Savio Vega. Now at the time, Owen Hart was managed by Jim Cornette. He was a member of Camp Cornette, and Savio Vega wasn't really doing much. Um, you thought he would have capitalized. You thought they would have capitalized on Savio's. Uh, caribbean strap match victory over steve austin Uh, a really fun match um from the beware of dog 2 in your house pay-per-view event uh which which resulted in the exit of the million dollar man teddy biasi from wwf programming um but they didn't instead austin won the king of the ring and we had the infamous austin 316 promo and we were off to the races. Uh, Steve Austin was, um, was put on the map in the WWF. Uh, and Savio Vega didn't really have a whole lot going on, which was very unfortunate because low-key, I've talked about it before, Savio Vega was one of, you know, he was a very underrated guy. I always thought there was more things for him. I thought that um, Savio Vega would have looked good with like an Intercontinental Championship around his waist. Um, and, you know, that leads me to the scenario role reversal trade places had Owen Hart not won and Savio Vega did what would be the individual trajectories of both of these guys well for Owen as the loser of this match I don't think it does much for him um maybe it further builds to something with him and Savio maybe uh, as a situation where Savio um gets a quick victory with like a roll-up or um, a schoolboy pin of sorts and gets the best of Owen and Owen's upset and he wants to know the crack at Savio. Maybe it's something that they build to on like a Monday Night Raw or maybe even an episode of WWF Superstars. Um, I don't know. But um, it doesn't... Owen Hart's path following a loss like this, I don't think... It, it, I don't think he, he goes further down the card, but I don't think he goes further up the card either. I mean, he'll be, you know, in the thick of things with Jim Cornette and that faction because they were a big focal point in storylines. So maybe it's a situation where um, it just kind of gets forgotten about, at least for Owen Hart. Um I think we would just kind of see what we saw in 1996 and he would just move on from it and would go on to tag with Davey boy and him and Davey boy, the British bulldog would be a formidable tag team in the, the dwindling WWF tag team division at that time. Probably one of the worst periods of tag team wrestling, uh, for the world wrestling federation at that time. Um, now, as far as a Savio victory goes, um, I don't see them really capitalizing a whole lot on that either. They didn't capitalize on a bigger victory over Steve Austin in that strap match. So why would they feel the need to capitalize on this now? Um, Unless they felt like they might have lost sight of what they could have had with him back in May of that year. And they decide to jump on it. Um, Maybe it leads to a a more intricate... uh, Rivalry with Owen Hart, like I said, um, where Savio is kind of a thorn in Owen's side. Uh, the, you know, I mean, the, the two had a great match at SummerSlam. They could probably produce an even better match, um, given more time and, and, and more of a build. But um, I don't see like a Savio Vega moving into the Intercontinental title picture, as much as I would have liked to have seen that. Okay, As much as I would have liked to have seen Savio get a victory over an Owen Hart, I don't see them going in that direction. I just really don't unfortunately um i don't see savio vega moving up any further than he was you know on the card um and that's unfortunate but uh, selfishly from a fantasy booking perspective i would love to have seen him kind of mix it up in the intercontinental championship picture because there was a vacant intercontinental champion at the time so um Seeing him mix it up for that championship, um, he was very popular with the audience. Um, He was definitely a good worker, someone who was reliable and credible in the ring, and someone that um, people liked to watch and enjoyed watching. I I could see him mixing it up. Not saying he would be the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time, but he had the in-ring ability to match up to the prestige that was the Intercontinental Championship. But unfortunately, I just don't think realistically that's a path they would have taken with him. Maybe he would have chased the Intercontinental Champion, you know, whoever that may be. But the uh, best case scenario, you know, Savio wins, Owen loses. Either Owen, you know, goes off and they forget about this loss, and he's back to tagging up with Davy Boy in the tag division, or they further build on this between Owen and Savio with a series of matches um, on television, maybe even leading to the next pay per view. I know that. In 1996, we would see Owen and Bradshaw in a Caribbean strap match at the next pay-per-view, the In Your House Mind Games pay-per-view. But, uh, you know, that was just kind of another situation where there was very little build-up for that either. Um, It it was only a few weeks, maybe even a month at best, um, that that they built that rivalry up to get us to that match. So maybe instead of that match, maybe we see a rematch with Savio and an Owen Hart at that Mind Games pay-per-view, building off of the SummerSlam victory. So um, that's best-case scenario for me when it comes to that match in particular, just because there wasn't a whole lot of effort put into building up that match going into the pay-per-view. So I think it's it, it gives them an opportunity to make up for that following this. So um, let's move on to the next match, which would be a four-way elimination tag team match for the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Championships featuring the champions, the Smoking Guns, Billy and Bart, the New Rockers, Leaf Cassidy and Marty Jannetty, the Godwins, Henry and Phineas, and the Body Donnas, Skip and Zip. Um, history showed us that the uh, the Smoking Guns, Billy and Bart, ended up victorious and uh, won the World Wrestling Federation, kept the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Championship. Um... They were the last team standing, the Rockers, the Body Donnas, and the Godwins, um, all eliminated um, individually. Now, let's see here. Um, This was an interesting scenario because going into this match, Sonny had been with three out of the four teams in a managerial role. She started out with Skip and Zip, the Body Donnas, and then she eventually... um, turned on them to kind of back up the Godwins, um, Henry and Phineas, because Phineas had a, 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 a love interest. Um, he, he was he was smitten for her. And so um, she had slept with him uh before a match and the godwins ended up winning that match to become the world wrestling federation tag team champions at a live event in madison square garden over the over the the godwins and then not long after that it was revealed she had done that to make the smoking guns um victory a little bit easier softening them up and distracting the godwins and then she would join the god or she would join the smoking guns and be their valet um which was a nice little uh pairing um i thought Sonny added something to the smoking guns um as a heel tag team um it was really destined for billy to break out as a single star and it looked like that's the route that they were going um and so, like I said, history showed us the guns, Billy and Bart ended up keeping the championships and winning the match. Um, but what if let's, now there's three different scenarios here. What if What if the body Donnas won the WWF tag team titles yet again? Um, I don't see that being a realistic option. For a number of reasons. Number one, Chris Candido, who played Skip, was hurt. He had a neck injury. As a matter of fact, I think they were one. They were the first team eliminated very early in the match because of his neck injury. Um, and I don't think people bought them as a babyface tag team. I really don't. I think people didn't see them as um, didn't see them as uh, you know. Um, I don't know. They just nobody bought into them. They were good as heels, you know. These these obnoxious exercise. Um, aerobic snobs i guess you could say that was during the period of time where there was you know the body by jake and the thigh master by suzanne summers and it was like over the top obnoxious um you know infomercials late at night talking about exercising you know they marketed it to the people that stayed up late watched tv and sat on the couch and ate potato chips Um, and that's something you know that, that that people hated at the time but them as a team as a baby face it just didn't work for me. Um, so had they win won the championships um, the only thing I could the only thing I could think of that would be realistic at that time that would make sense would be for Sonny to help them win the titles and go back with them. but um, that's not the, that's not the direction they had won in. Um, let's just say for argument's sake um, the Godwins win this Um, it could be another situation where Sonny helps the Godwins win but the Godwins don't this time around they're smart enough to know that she's just using them because she just wants to be the manager of a winner and a manager of champions and therefore um, they kick her to the curb and the Godwins have a small run as the tag team champions Um, what kind of path does that take them I don't know. Um, maybe we see them have a run in with Owen and Davy Boy. Uh, maybe, the, maybe they're transitional champions to get us to like Owen Hart and Davy Boy Smith as the WWF Tag Team Champions. That's very possible too. Um, you know, I, I, I can I can picture something like that. Let's say, let's trade places and say that the Rockers, the new Rockers, Leaf Cassidy and Marie Um win the tag team titles in this match and you know what does that do for 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 them well i can picture another scenario and this is the third one here where Sonny plays a big factor in it Sonny not having been with this team um you know having been the manager of the body donnas then a semi manager with the godmans and eventually joining up with the smoking guns i can picture her kind of you know manipulating believe Cassidy and Marty Gennetti, um, and helping them win the tag team championship because the guns as a team just aren't cutting it and they're not um, they're not living up to the, the standards that Sonny has set or maybe you know the, the championships are you know in danger of, of, of the guns losing them and Sonny realizes that and she flips over to the Rockers um, I think her managing the Rockers, especially, you know, Marty Janetti and Leif Cassidy, um, I think would be helpful to them as a team because they were another entity that nobody really cared about as a team. Marty Janetti had credibility because of his tag team partnership with Shawn Michaels years prior, but they were trying to redo something that just wasn't working. Um, maybe if they added Sonny to that mix as a valet um, and kind of incorporated that Rockers vibe with her being the good looking chick that she was um maybe that would have helped their stock i don't know but i don't see that lasting very long either sunny was a star in her own right as a matter of fact sonny was probably the biggest star uh, out out of everyone in the match and she wasn't even in the match um but it all revolved around her at the end of the day now all of these scenarios had sunny helped any one of these teams defeat the guns to win the titles back would more than likely set up a breakup between Billy and Bart. Um, Billy being so smitten with Sonny that Bart had, you know, had enough. And he realized that, you know, Billy lost focus. And then that's where, like, the breakup begins between these two teams. We saw that towards the end of 1996 when they lost the titles at Mind Games to Owen Hart And the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, the following month. So maybe we expedite that process a little quicker and we get a smoking guns breakup at SummerSlam. And Billy and Bart go their separate ways. And Billy is obviously pegged to be the big star. Um, And they they obviously have plans with Billy, whereas Bart, they didn't really do anything with Bart following that. He was just kind of floundering. So... um, Those are the most likely and realistic scenarios I can picture for that match and how um, all that plays out. But um, like I said, the common thread in all of those scenarios is that Sunny is the one that's really benefiting more than anybody else because she's the one that's really pulling the strings, you know, for all these teams. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of like that's kind of where I could see it heading towards. Um, Had they done any one of those uh, options in 1996 Um, let's move on to the fourth match on this card Psycho Sid going one on one with the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith Um, this match went 6 minutes and 24 seconds it was really nothing to write home about but Psycho Sid ended up defeating Davy Boy at least that's what history had, uh, had, had given us now had history been a little kinder to us um Maybe we would see Davy Boy get the victory over Sid. Now, Sid was a star, okay? Sid was a monster. And Sid wasn't coming in to do a job for anybody, okay? Um, Sid had a reputation for being a shrewd businessman. um, And the way he conducted business, he knew his value, and he wasn't budging for anyone. So, I feel like... um, In this instance, the only way for Sid to have lost is if there was some kind of screw job of sorts. Maybe Owen Hart helps Davy Boy win. Um, Or maybe Cornette uses the tennis racket to get involved and and Davy Boy gets the victory with the referee distracted. And that's how you screw Sid. Or maybe there's some kind of disqualification where, um, you know, Sid... Sid power bombs Davey Boy a couple of times and the referee tells him to cover and Sid refuses to do it and he just keeps powerbombing him and then eventually Sid puts his hands on the referee. Um, I feel like that's something that, um, you would have to build towards in that match with Sid being the aggressor and the referee having to warn him a few times on more than one occasion for him to, you know, follow the rules. Otherwise he's going to be disqualified. Um, that's that would that would be it, that would be in a way to help build um, more around the mystique that is Psycho Sin, um, and really protect him. Uh, because it looked like even back then in 1996 when Sid came in, that they were eventually going to get to him and Shawn Michaels, which we eventually would see. But maybe in this instance, Davey Boy um, squeaks out the victory with a little bit of help from Owen um, or Cornette, um, but it's not over for him and Sid. I think it it would be something that they would revisit down the line. Maybe we would see Sid... um, at the next pay-per-view at mind games wrestle Davy boy and owen in a handicap match or maybe he would wrestle owen instead um and Davy boy would get involved and then he would eventually have to enlist in the services of someone to be his tag team partner maybe that's where they they, they bring Shawn michaels back into the fold um even though sean's got his hands full with vader uh, maybe it's somebody else Maybe, uh, you know, maybe there's somebody else on the card that they want to pair with Sid uh, to uh, give them a little bit of a rub. Who knows? Uh, Maybe the return of Ahmed Johnson, who was a part of that six-man tag team match at the international incident in your house pay-per-view in July of 96 where he tagged with Michaels and Sid to take on Camp Cornette. Maybe we would see something like that uh, where Ahmed would come back and and kind of back up Sid. But I feel like at the same time... um, In order for them to build up to sit in the title picture um him getting any kind of help i don't think would would help his matters for per se i think showing his dominance and beating two individuals in somewhat of a handicap match maybe just maybe would be um would be the way to go um at that time in 1996 um but the only realistic finish I could see here, the only realistic role reversal would be is if, like like I said, Owen or Cornette um, got involved with the referee's distraction, helping Davy Boy win, and they just kind of continue this this along with Sid kind of um, being the target of, uh, one of the targets of Camp Cornette, per se. Um, all right. All um, right. There, there really wasn't a whole lot for me to chew on when it came to that scenario, um, because there wasn't, it wasn't realistic enough for Davy Boy to get a clean victory over Owen or over Sid, um, given the fact that Davy Boy was involved in the title picture two months in a row with Shawn Michaels. Um, him getting a victory over Sid, um, it certainly would have helped him, but it would have, in some ways. Um, devalued sid him coming in here only to lose to davy boy you know him very early on in his run so um realistically it's davy boy kind of cheating to win and they just continue on with sid you know being the being the target of camp cornet um the next match here we see gold dust with marlena defeating the wild man mark marrow with sable now going into this match Goldust and Marlena had some some affection towards Sable, which drew the which which drew the attention of Mark Mero, who was Sable's husband at the time, um, and it was kind of very stalkerish, um, very creepy, uh, which which made for a solid storyline going into this pay per view. Um, history showed us that Goldust would defeat Mark Mero um, in this match, but. Following this, there wasn't a whole lot that they did to, to capitalize on it, and I'm not sure why. Um, 1996 was an interesting year because um, when it came to pay-per-view encounters, you didn't see too many rematches between guys. There was a lot of one and dones. Um, you know, pay-per-view matches that were built up for a month or unannounced. And then they would take place on a pay-per-view. They would have the match and it would be blown off or they would pivot a guy onto something else and maybe revisit it. But there wasn't any kind of finality, um, in this storyline from my perspective. Um, they moved gold dust into a match with undertaker at the mind games, pay-per-view, which was, the uh, which was another issue I'll get into, um, shortly. Um, but here, let's just say that Mark Mero got the victory and defeated Goldust. Where do either of these guys go? Um, I feel like there wouldn't be a whole lot more they could do with Goldust and Mark Mero, so maybe that's why they they didn't continue this angle. But I feel like going into the buildup with Goldust and Marlena kind of setting their sights on Sable in this very creepy, stalkerish fashion... Um, mark marrow for me is a person i feel like would have to be the one that, that ends up the victor um so where does he go from here um maybe we move mark marrow into the intercontinental title picture um you know they they were setting up a tournament for the vacant intercontinental championship at the time because ahmed johnson was not in the picture mark marrow ended up winning that Intercontinental title. um and and winning the tournament um, not too long after this. So it looked like that's where they kind of went with it in the first place. Um, And I didn't really have to construct a role reversal scenario. Um, But maybe we would see Goldust continue on with Marrow, but this time now setting his sights on the title because he is a former Intercontinental Champion. Maybe that's something that they visit um, or revisit, I should say. Um, But... There's not a a ton to chew on with this here, other than the fact that it leaves things open-ended for them to be a part of the Intercontinental title picture. The only other scenario I could kind of picture in my mind here, if Mero were to have won this match, was for Goldust and Marlena to push the envelope a little further with Sable in the in the in terms of like the 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 uh the the story of pursuing her um and like stalking her um maybe it were to lead to some kind of mixed tag team match now neither sable or marlena were trained performers at that time in ring performers but maybe it would be something that they would um that they would visit following this match you know Mero getting the victory um but then somehow Marlena and Goldust get physical with Sable forcing the issue of Sable needing to fight back now where Mero training Sable to get in the ring setting up a mixed tag match between these two at the next pay-per-view at the mind games pay-per-view um maybe that's the case maybe not maybe it's it's maybe it comes down to marrow and gold dust in the finals of the intercontinental title tournament and that's how they continue this so i guess there's a couple different options here but um it seems like they didn't have any reason or maybe they did have reason why they didn't further this storyline along um following SummerSlam, and that's why gold dust had gotten the victory um over Mark Mero because I felt like Mark Merrow, his introduction into WWF at the time, you know, in a backstage vignette at WrestleMania, the stuff he did with Hunter Hearst Townsley, you know, in the quarterfinal match with Steve Austin losing, when Steve Austin advancing in the finals of the King of the Ring, I felt like they, I, I'm not sure why they didn't really push harder with Merrow in the beginning. They introduced him like he was a big deal, and then, it just kind of fizzled out, and I don't know if it was something with the audience not connecting with him, or Marrow, or you know he wasn't in favor of management. I don't know, um, but uh, you know Mark Marrow was a was a hell of a performer. definitely go in that ring um the johnny b bad gimmick as many people say is hokey i i really enjoyed it during its time in wcw and so um i was looking forward to the in-ring quality of his matches in wwf and he certainly didn't disappoint early on but um for whatever reason they just didn't go further with him um so maybe that's why gold dust had gotten the victory and they were just kind of soured early on with the mark marrow experience i don't know i really don't know but Maybe we could get with a marrow victory a mixed tag, of sorts, getting the girls more involved, or we just move marrow on into the intercontinental title picture, and then maybe you could revisit him in Gold Dust with the the, the title being the focal point of their story. So, um, let's let's continue here. The next match that took place on this card uh, pitted. Jerry the King Lawler against Jake the Snake Roberts. This storyline was all about Lawler poking fun at Jake Roberts' troubled past with alcohol and his addiction. And it really tugged at the heartstrings for many people. Um, it's, a, it's a easily relatable story. Um, there are one in every four people probably know somebody that has closely affected to them uh, that has struggled with alcohol. Um, I had an issue with it Uh, Full disclosure I had an issue with it At one point in my life Um And uh I haven't picked up a drink In eight years So uh You know I, I It's Everybody knows somebody or has been affected by it in one form or another, and so it's an easily relatable story. At the time, in 1996, I was 13 years old, so um, I hadn't even picked up a drink at that point. And so I didn't really know anyone that was affected by it, but in hindsight, looking back at it, you know, you can easily relate to this type of a story. So um, going into it, Lawler would make all kinds of fun at the expense of Jake Roberts, all kinds of, you know... uh, alcoholic jokes and things like that and it really 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 um uh built the heat on him and Lawler wasn't a full-time performer either he was mostly on commentary so this was like a special attraction sort of match with him and Jake the Snake um I think one of the best moments on the microphone Jerry Lawler's ever had was his introduction at this pay-per-view where he where he you know made all these uh you know uh uh, jokes regarding Jake Snake Roberts' drinking problem, um, and and bagging on the fans of Cleveland. They were in the Gund Arena at the time, the newly built arena uh, where the where the Cleveland Cavaliers currently play. Um, so, I thought it was one of Lawler's best performances on the microphone, really getting heat. And when Jake came out, everybody went crazy. And the match wasn't anything special. Um, from a psychology standpoint, it was really good, but bell to bell, you know, hold for hold. You weren't expecting a classic, Um, and if you were, you probably should have been watching another show. Um, So history showed us that Jerry Lawler ended up squeaking out the victory, but um, he would pivot to him and Mark Henry, because Mark Henry was sitting at ringside doing commentary for the match. Mark Henry was just signed by the WWF, fresh off of his run in the 1996 Olympics on the powerlifting team. And hadn't had one iota of wrestling experience under his belt. Um, So they were rushing him immediately into something. And they needed someone like Jerry Lawler with credibility that could build heat. That could make people care about Mark Henry. So post-match saw Lawler take... A bottle of Jim Beam and try to pour the the substance of the bottle down Jake Roberts' throat. Mark Henry made the save. And we were off to the races with that storyline. They would end up having a match at the next pay-per-view. At the Mind Games in Your House pay-per-view. But um, let's just say, for argument's sake, that Jake the Snake Roberts were to get the victory. I would have preferred it, okay? Because I really felt like Jake needed some kind of redemption, you know, not knowing at the time that this was something that he had really battled behind the scenes in real life for many, many years. Um, Having to kind of put your life out there in a storyline like that is very brave. It can be nerve wracking. Um, And so allowing that part of your life to be played out on television, um, I can imagine can add some stress and kind of reopen some old wounds if you will with Jake and Lawler really pushed the limit um, for the angle and I'm sure that with the permission of Jake you know some of those things were allowed but uh, nonetheless um, Jake and Lawler had a pretty solid little rivalry going into that SummerSlam and I think given the the amount of um, momentum Lawler had going into the pay-per-view With all the things that he was saying and doing to Jake and how, you know, Jake was just kind of turning the other cheek and and allowing Lawler to, um, you know, poke fun at him um, instead of getting him all worked up and him losing his cool and him cracking, um, I thought maybe a Jake Roberts win would have been nice, um, you know the 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 guy who had trouble who had trouble battling his quote unquote demons and dealing with his issues with alcohol finally getting the big win over the guy who had been bullying him and poking and prodding at him, let's say we get that Jake Roberts victory over Jerry Lawler, um, what does it do for Lawler? Well, Lawler goes back to the booth, okay it doesn't hurt jerry lawler um if anything you can pivot to him and mark henry maybe something post-match where lawler jumps jake from behind and attacks him and tries to pour the bottle of jim beam down his throat and we get the same spot we got at, at, at that year SummerSlam. mark henry holding the bottle you know grabbing the bottle out of lawler's hand and you know we pivot to lawler and mark henry for that next pay-per-view what does it do for jake okay what does it do for jake um to be quite honest with you, I don't know. Um, maybe we revisit Jake um, within Camp Cornet. You know, facing someone in Camp Cornet um, earlier in the year. Jake was a part of that little six-man trio with Ahmed Johnson and Yokozuna at that WrestleMania. Maybe Jake revisits something with uh, with them. Maybe Jake continues his rivalry with Steve Austin. Steve Austin defeated him in the finals of the King of the Ring. Maybe, you know, Jake celebrates that big victory the next night on Raw with Jerry Lawler and Steve Austin comes out and, and pokes and prods at Jake um, talking about how he beat this shell of an old man um, and, and and just kind of instigates a fight out of Jake the Snake Roberts. Maybe Jake can continue helping build Austin. To eventually get to Brett. Um, an interesting take here. Maybe, maybe you know, from the Goldust-Mark Merrill scenario, maybe Goldust pivots off and moves away from Merrill, Merrow moves into the Intercontinental title picture, and maybe Goldust sets his sights on Jake the Snake Roberts. Um, maybe, you know, Goldust kind of pokes and prods and stalks at Jake and... Um, in, in his very androgynous manner, brings to light Jake Roberts' issues with alcohol. Um, and in some way almost tries to um, release those demons out of Jake um, in, in, his, in, in the way that Goldust could, you know, in very controversial fashion, pushing a lot of those buttons, making him feel uncomfortable at that time. Like I've said before in previous podcasts, and I don't agree with it, but you know, I'm just stating a fact here. Homosexuality was not something that was seen very positively to the majority of the masses in our culture. And so... Goldust kind of pushed that homophobic button in 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 the storylines. Like I said, Vince you would like to use that word androgynous, uh, referring to Goldust. Um, he wasn't a homosexual. He wasn't gay. He was androgynous. And so maybe Goldust kind of pushing that homophobic button to Jake could eventually push Jake over the edge, um, to the point where maybe he has trouble fighting some of those demons. And and you kind of revisit. Jake having his issues with alcohol now I'm not saying it would be in 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 I'm not saying that it wouldn't be in poor taste I think it would but WWF at the time had pushed that envelope and pushed that button not only on the spectrum with gold dust but also you know bringing Jake's story to light um, with his battle with drugs and alcohol um I think that there would be an interesting an interesting turn of events, that would set the course for you know really putting gold dust over the top and really if he wasn't a major player before he certainly would be a major player now Um, another scenario that I that just kind of came to me that I think would be interesting is if Jake were to have following this uh, victory over Lawler kind of disappeared for a little bit And maybe he were to come back and align with Paul Bearer and mankind. And Jake would kind of be somewhat of a mentor um, to to mankind, and maybe even a protege of Paul Bearer. And Jake would kind of intertwine himself into the Mankind Undertaker story. Um, You know, we'll talk about that shortly when it comes to the boiler room match but uh that would be interesting um I'm not saying that that would be something that they would realistically visit but um I think it would be more realistic if they went Jake and Goldust with Goldust really pushing those buttons and almost kind of testing if Jake's got that willpower to stay clean and really pushing the homophobic um and, and, and in some ways, Goldust trying to expose Jake for the person that Goldust really thinks he is. And that's just some, some old drunk that, you know, um, hates himself. And, you know, I, I mean that's something that's more realistic than going the jake mankind undertaker route but uh you know for jake roberts winning i think um would have been a nice touch given the fact that it would have just been a cool feel-good story that like you know the guy who battled all his demons the guy who beat drugs and alcohol at that time okay and i'm just talking about at that time gets the victory over the guy that you know um that doubted him that you know pushed his buttons that didn't believe that he could keep it you know Keep it together and and stay clean and sober So I think that would have been a a nice little feel-good moment For Jake the Snake Roberts Um, Now let's go into the boiler room brawl, if you will Mankind and The Undertaker Uh, This match went 26 minutes and 40 seconds It was... Arguably, the match of the night on this card. If you go back and watch this show, um, the way this was presented, hardly any commentary. They started out in the boiler room. The object of the match was to eventually get to the middle of the ring, and you possess the urn that Paul Bearer has standing in the middle of the ring. Um, The things these guys did to each other, the physicality in their matches, um, leading up to this was something else. But in this match itself, my goodness, these two guys beat the shit out of each other. These These are some of Undertaker's... These are very underrated gems. The stuff he was doing with, with Mankind in the, the spring and summer of 1996. And it finally culminated in this match. And history told us that Mankind was the victor with a little bit of help from Paul Bear. Um, well, what if... Um, what if The Undertaker would come out victorious from this match? Um, and, and were to slay the dragon that is Mankind. Um... Where does Undertaker go from here? Where does Mankind go from here? Um, Well, Undertaker would still remain with Paul Bearer. You could still set up a turn later down the line. But maybe, um, you know, Undertaker gets this victory and this victory earns him a shot at the WWF Championship at the next pay-per-view, the Mind Games pay-per-view. That's very possible. Um, Undertaker was not in the title picture really much um, for the latter half of 1996, early part he had his matches with Bret. He had the, you know, the match with Bret at the Royal Rumble, um, but that was really about it. So Undertaker and Undertaker was screwed in that match by Diesel, and that set off the matches with him and Diesel going into WrestleMania. So. Um, Undertaker getting a big victory over Mankind who had gotten the best of him on more than one occasion as a matter of fact uh, Mankind defeated Undertaker at the 1996 King of the Ring um I could picture Undertaker's victory leading to him getting a title shot something where WWF President Gorilla Monsoon says due to the victory in the Boiler Room match Undertaker I'm granting you a shot at the World Wrestling Federation Champion at the next pay-per-view mind games in your house um I could definitely see something like that. Um, and like I said, maybe down the line, they they, they do the Paul Bearer turn. Um, maybe Paul Bearer turns on him in the championship match and costs Undertaker the WWF championship. Who knows? Um, what does it do for Mankind? Mankind can pivot, and Mankind can move on to something else. Um, let's just say Mankind moves on to Shawn Michaels. Um and, and kind of takes his anger and his frustration from losing the Boiler Room match out on Shawn Michaels. Um, that's very possible too. Um, whether that's for the title or not, that remains to be seen because I'll get into the next scenario but with Shawn and Vader in a moment. But um, Mankind moving on into something with Shawn Michaels as like a stopgap and kind of putting the Undertaker-Mankind rivalry on pause I think is something that would make sense. I mean, they went with the, the title match at that pay per view that year in '96, so it's very possible. Um, it's something that I, I mean, if, there, if there's a match you go watch, man, go watch Shawn Michaels Mankind. uh, mind games in your house uh truly an unbelievable match a classic Mick Foley claims it's his greatest match ever um Shawn Michaels has said that it's probably one of his favorite matches he's ever participated in two contrasting styles that just meshed really well together great story told I loved it um didn't like it back then but watched it you know a couple years after that and I was like man this is really good why didn't I like this the first time around but um yeah um i could definitely see mankind Shawn michaels as a pivot following mankind's loss um you know from the undertaker um maybe undertaker getting that title shot at the mind games pay-per-view like i said paul bearer being the one to turn on undertaker costing him the title maybe that's where they do the 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 formation of him and mankind's alliance at that mind games pay-per-view um who knows uh it's very possible um, but I I certainly see if the, if if they put it on hold, it's very possible, or had they put it on hold, uh, it's very realistic. I could see that taking place. Um, Undertaker winning, defeating mankind, moving on to the championship match, but they can revisit him and mankind because it's one of those rivalries that like, it's not the fight forever rivalry, but it was one of those rivalries that, like, you could have picked that up at any time, and it would have made sense, and it would have worked, um, and you know, they, they, it would have been like riding a bike. You know what I mean? Those two just worked so well with each other. Um, now let's go to the the final trading places scenario here: the um, Shawn Michaels Vader WWF Championship match, the main event. This match. Saw Shawn Michaels defeat Vader not once, not twice, but or, I'm sorry, he lost via a countout the first time, he lost via a disqualification the second time, and then Cornette forced the referees on both occasions to restart the match because he, him and Vader were not leaving until Vader won the championship. And then finally, Michaels decisively defeated Vader to retain the World Wrestling Federation championship. Now, had now, now, before we get into the scenario, going into that match, Vader had Shawn Michaels' number every step of the way. He, Vader bombed Michaels in the six-man tag at the pay-per-view previously, getting the pinfall victory. He had gotten the best of Michaels in another tag match on Raw, um... really showing his dominance over Michaels so it was that whole David versus Goliath vibe and it worked Um, Michaels was the, the 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 pretty boy baby face underdog even as the champ and Vader was the the dominant um challenger that had the odds in his favor And so it was a situation that worked very well. Um, It's a good match. You go back and watch that match. That's another great match on that card. Um, You also go back and watch that match. That was also the beginning of the end of Vader's run in the main event um, in the WWF. Because there was a point in that match where Michaels went to do an elbow drop. And off the top rope, Vader was supposed to move. He didn't move. And in midair, Michaels... Didn't elbow drop him. He, you know, his feet landed on the canvas and he said something like, Move, asshole. And he like kicked Vader in the face. And then it just kind of went downhill from there. And allegedly, Michaels um, had told management that Vader was not someone they should invest in at, in, a, in a top spot. Um, and there's been conflicting stories that that had something to do with it, Vader's injuries, and he was just not. Um, he wasn't the the performer he once was, et cetera, et cetera, but um so we saw Shawn Michaels leave SummerSlam with the championship. Let's say that didn't happen. Let's say Vader left as the WWF champion. Okay? Um, where does Vader go from here as the champion? Well, I brought it up in the last scenario. Undertaker wins the Boiler Room Brawl. He gets Vader for the WWE champ- WWF championship. At that time, they weren't WWE. But he gets Vader for the WWF title at the Mind Games pay-per-view. Um, mankind after losing the bout and after losing the championship um, or after losing to the Undertaker in the Boiler Room is so mad and so frustrated. And, you know, he needs to take his his aggression and inflict pain on someone. And Shawn Michaels is the first person there. And that's how you kind of you flip flop those two matches for the next pay-per-view. And Michael's already earning himself an automatic rematch. OK, at a later date. Um So, you have a situation where um, Michaels would wrestle Mankind, Undertaker would wrestle Vader. Maybe that's where you set up, like I said, Paul Bearer turning on Undertaker, helping Vader keep the title. Vader still managed to Jim Cornette. um, And you revisit Michaels and Vader maybe at Survivor Series. Kind of like what they did with Sid. Okay? So before that, you get Vader and Sid at the In Your House Buried Alive pay per view, um, with Michaels facing the winner. And Vader somehow manages to get the victory over Sid, okay, retaining the title. And you do Vader and Michaels Survivor Series. Michaels gets the title back at survivor series and then he's forced to defend it against vader at the royal rumble in his hometown if vader loses he no longer can face michaels for the wwf championship you can kind of implement some sort of stipulation so that like there's some sort of suspense there's some sort of heavy stakes um originally that was the plan the original plan was vader was supposed to win at SummerSlam. And then Michaels was supposed to... They were supposed to have the the next match, of Survivor Series, and then Royal Rumble. Okay? But the Urban Legend uh, tells us that Vader was not in favor of being... Um, was being in the main event and being in a top spot, courtesy of uh, his issues with Michaels in their matches. So, um, Vader winning at, at SummerSlam could lead to a match with Undertaker. Um... If they don't want to wait for Survivor Series with him and Sean, maybe they, Vader beats Undertaker and kind of has one title defense under his belt, and maybe Vader um, and Sean have a rematch at the, the the Buried Alive pay-per-view, and then somehow, some way, Sid gets an opportunity. Maybe Sid defeats. Oh shit, I don't know. Let's just say let's just say Sid wants a shot at the winner, and Cornette tells Sid, "You got to beat both Owen and Davy Boy." To get your title shot at Vader after he defeats Shawn Michaels, and Sid agrees to it, Sid wins, but Vader don't win, and Shawn gets the belt back. Then that's how you get to Shawn and Sid at Survivor Series, which we would eventually see in 1996. Um, I feel like Vader winning the title wouldn't have been as dominant of a run as him with him as champion in that in that situation. I feel like he would have kind of been a transitional champ. Of sorts Um, I don't think he would have had the, the The memorable run With the belt like he did in WCW With his classics with Sting and Cactus Jack And Ric Flair and names like that But um, I think he would have flirted With the title for a little bit Uh, Maybe getting one big victory under his belt Over Undertaker and then him and Michaels at Buried Alive Michaels retains the belt back Sets him up with Sid at Survivor Series And then they do the angle where Sid attacks Jose Lothario And then Sid goes into Royal Rumble as the champion In Shawn Michaels' hometown in San Antonio Texas, bing bang boom You got your scenario and we've just traded places with the entire summer slam 1996 card thank you so very much for checking us out this week next week hoping to do um keeping my fingers crossed but next week um you know barring any kind of schedule issues hoping to do summer slam 1990 watch party the 30th anniversary of that show next week next wednesday august the 26th 2020 hoping to do that show next week um barring any scheduling conflicts looking for a co-host that wants to join me to watch that show go back maybe dennis maybe my brother justin who knows i'm looking for somebody to sit and watch that show with me it's one of my favorite summer slams very underrated summer slam in my opinion um I just remember that summer um, being so excited that you know Hulk Hogan was going to return and get his revenge on Earthquake, Ultimate Warrior, and Rick Rude were in a steel cage. You had the Heart Foundation and Demolition for the tag team titles. Nineteen ninety is one of my favorite years in in WWF in particular. Um, and it was the first year of the 90s. You know what I mean? There was a lot of new, fresh things you know, in pop culture and in society. And the WWF was right in the thick of it. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching that show. If I don't watch that show with someone, for some reason, if I can't get a co-host, I'm not going to do a whole three-hour you know, watch-along by myself. I'll probably just watch the double main event that was advertised, Hogan versus Earthquake and Warrior vs. Rude. Because those were the two matches I really looked forward to as a kid. So um, if I can't find someone, then we'll at least get... The, main, the double main event of that year, SummerSlam, in watch party form here on Kicking Out It 2. Um, and with that being said, I think it is about that time that we put this show officially down for the three count, and we will see you all next week.